0: The main focus of our text in God's Word today is going to be Exodus 14, but I want to get kind of a running start into that, as we've been literally watching God show His people selected by grace what it means to be led by the Lord. Exodus chapter 12, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have some people coming around, you can borrow one. They'd love to have it because we're going to be reading a good amount of text today. Exodus chapter 12. Let's pick up in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. Just setting where we're at. If you weren't gone, if you were gone last week or this is your first time here, we're in the process of, of watching God show himself, work himself in the life of of Egypt and the life of the Hebrews, and we are really seeing God focus in on the Hebrew people and showing himself, moving himself. The plagues have just come through, and that's why the Egyptians and Pharaoh said, please leave, we will all be dead. If you remember, the 10th plague had just come. And God had had the people sacrifice an unblemished lamb, a male lamb, and put the blood of that sacrificed lamb on the doorway of their home and hunker down, covered by the blood. And God passed over in his judgment. And God was looking for the sign of the blood that was covering the lives of the people. And those whom had the blood covering them God's judgment passed over. Not because they were great, but because the blood of the sacrificed lamb was applied and they were living under it. Oh, so much New Testament truth there. So the Egyptians want them out. Verse 34 So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. Get that, the slaves, the servants, for hundreds of years, ask their their bosses for their clothing, for their gold, for their jewelry. What are they going to do? No way, dude. And the Lord, verse 36, had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that uh, they let them have what they asked. Are you kidding me? Let's try that through your neighborhood. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Listen, they're leaving here. I'm not going to go into it, but they're leaving here and they're leaving with the wealth of Egypt Why do they know they're leaving with the wealth? Or what for what for are they leaving the wealth of Egypt? I don't think they really have the foggiest clue right now why God is having them plunder the wealth of Egypt. All they know is just take it. Ask and go and take it. And they take it. God is going to be using this moment later on in Exodus in a huge way for his glory. God knows what's going on. Verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. About 600,000 men on foot Besides women and children Okay, where? let's get a map here We're going to be going through maps for a little bit uh, Ramesses is on the uh, eastern side of Egypt Kind of the land of Goshen They went down to Succoth to that point point. 600,000 men on foot That would be 21 years and older At that time Are on marching on foot of the Israelites So that's why generally so far I've said there's about 2 million people That are leaving Israel uh, uh, 2 million Hebrews 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 that are leaving Israel are leaving Egypt, New Testament, Old Testament, got to get it straight, are leaving Egypt at this point of time. Two million-ish people. You've got to keep this in mind as we continue here. This is all of Indianapolis and all the suburbs heading out through the town of Avon towards Danville. Okay? Okay? And no, not the promised land. It's further on out. I think the promised land is the Rockies or something like that. But that's 2 million people. Verse 38, a mixed multitude also. By the way, it was not just the Hebrews that were leaving. It was actually some Egyptians and some foreigners, some non-Hebrews that were leaving with them as well. Listen, they had seen Yahweh. (laughs) I would hope I would be, I'm on this team Because the team I've been on isn't doing too well. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that had been brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was how long? 430 years, that's a long time. At the end of 430 years, on that day, listen, God is not making things up as he goes. God knows what he's doing. His plans are in process. God is fulfilling his plans, and he's also fulfilling some other things as we're gonna see here as well. But on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. I love that terminology, all the hosts of the Lord. That's just cool. Verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Jump down to chapter 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Okay, let's uh, go to the next slide here as you've got it. And you can see here, this is, in essence, this is where the people of the Hebrews are at in sucketh at this point in time. There's, uh, at in that day, there were two main highways, literally, transporting moving highways. The one that's being talked about is the way of the Philistines, the one on top there that comes up along the sea and goes right on up towards over modern-day Israel. Another one is the way of Shur. These two highways were the main highways that people would travel. Why did God not want them to go along the way of the Philistines? The reason they didn't want them to go on Highway 65 was because people and towns are planted along the highway. And as 2 million people are going, the Egyptians at, located in these various towns would go to war to these people. Remember, they didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They didn't know everything was taking place. And so God says, no, no, no. If they go along that way, the Egyptian compounds along the highway are gonna go to battle to the people of Israel. And God knows his people well enough to know if that happens, they're gonna hightail it back. And so I can't send them that way. I've got another plan. So he's going to send them southeast. Verse 18. But God led the people. That was a song that we just sang. Or that we heard sung. God led. Oh. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. I think the equipping for battle is, is they were not offensively equipped for battle. They were more def- defensively equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with them. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones and you from here. Verse 20, and they moved on from Succoth and it camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Where is Etham? Oh, we don't know. How's that? We don't know. In fact, it could have been over here, kind of in this wilderness of Etham. It actually could have been a little bit under Succoth, right over by this, it's called the Lake of Bitterness up there, or the Bitter Lake, actually. Or it could be far north there. We don't really know. So I'm just going to put the dots there. That's not the big deal. All right, I just kind of want for you to geographically see where we're going. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. A gigantic, divine-moving glow stick. How cool would that be to see this? How reaffirming, reassuring. Why is he doing this? That they might travel by day and by night, which was a common thing in that day. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Chapter 14, then the Lord said to Moses, this is God talking to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pehaheroth between Migdol and the sea in front of Balzaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. So where are they at now? Don't know. Um, we, neither of these places, uh, archaeologically, we do not know exactly where they are. Where is Pehahiroth? And be, by the way, it took me a lot of times this week trying to get that down. And Baal can't be pil- pinpointed. Baal if you're familiar with Baal, is a god. It was a god associated with the sea and maritime commerce, uh, generally with the north region, but it doesn't mean that's why some think it was in the far north. Others, we don't quite know where exactly are they at this point. We don't quite know. Do we know any places where they're going? <laughs> yeah, we do. Now, uh, there is a city, Marah, Uh, that's down here, we're going to catch them here in about two Sundays. We're going to catch them coming down this way. So they're going to be down here, but up there right at the moment, we're not quite sure. So where did they cross the Red Sea? If we know that they're at Succoth and we get down here, where did they cross the Red Sea? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a a little bit different map here, a satellite map of that boxed area. So this is modern day. Don't you want to live there? Okay, so here's Ramesses. here's Succoth. Uh, Marah, down here. Let's go to the next slide. Where then did they cross? Here's the deal. They crossed the Red Sea anywhere from up there to down here. Okay, really, there's a north theory, there's a central crossing theory, and there's a southern crossing theory. And I'm just going to say this. This is the deal, folks. We could get here and go, well, we don't know where it is. I think God knew why not to let us know. Because if we knew right where they were crossing, I think there would be massive encampments of people there worshiping the ground upon where they, where they went across and not the God of the one who made them cross. But let me tell you, here's the big deal. They crossed. Okay? And we're going to learn about it because some are saying, well, they crossed like a little ravine. Well, yeah, not. Or they crossed in this massive water. Very possibly. Whatever it was, they crossed. And we're going to see some of the characteristics of it. So where did they do go? We don't know. <laughs> they went across. Okay, everybody, across. across. Okay, they went across, and we'll see that here. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is God already hardening a hardened heart. Okay, this is making a hardened heart harder for God's purposes. And he will pursue them, and I will get the glory over Pharaoh. We have seen this multiple times now. God is not just about getting to a place in time, God is about fulfilling his purposes in a place in time and having his glory shown over it all. Isn't this cool? God is moving his people where he wants, and God is showing himself and getting the glory over it all. I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that what? I am the Lord. We've seen that again, time and time again. It is about God's glory, and it is about people knowing that he is the Lord. And they did so. And they did so. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? I give an emphasis there because, again, some, how can God have hardened his heart? Listen, Pharaoh never in his life thought that anybody else was making the decision but him. And here they look at it and they go, we made this decision and we're foolish for letting these people go. I mean, this is our workforce. Verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots, not five, not 20, not a hundred. How many? 600. That's a lot of chariots. How many wheels is that? <laughs> and all the other chariots of Egypt, so even more on top of that, with officers over them all, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea. Did you see that? and overtook them uh, by Piharah? In front of Baal Zephon. Listen, this is the deal. The whole, all of Egypt, Pharaoh has called really all of Egypt, go get them back. And this massive army in that day is running after these uh, Hebrews that are on their way out. And when Pharaoh, verse 10, drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. I would too. Here you are, a bunch of literal, almost, if you will, nomads, plundered Egypt, grabbing scraps. You've got shields that you're going to, like, what? Shield people to death? And there you are, and you see the Egyptian army that's there, and you look back and you think, we're in trouble. Pay attention. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Uh, yeah. Way to go. But here we go. Verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? is not this what we said you would what we what we said to you in Egypt leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians by the way that's not what they said for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness couple points Life without a perspective of a sovereign, in-control God brings problems. Life without the view that there is a sovereign, in-control God brings problems. If life is about me, I'm not happy at this moment there. If life is about my comfort, I'm not happy in this moment there. If life is about me, life is horrifying and empty right now if I'm one of them there. Life without the view of a sovereign and in control of God is empty, folks. Purposeless. And by the way, another item. We are masters at complaining. I'm in there too. We are bent towards complaining. And why do we complain? Because life is about us. And we struggle with seeing a sovereign, in-control God. Third, there is a sovereign, in-control God. Second, there's an art of complaining. And third... Leadership is hard. I'm not whining about my role at all. But leadership is hard. If I were Moses right at this moment, no, let's not go there. Pastor friend, a very close pastor friend once said to me, um, sometimes... Being a Walmart greeter sounds like a good job. (laughs) Leadership is hard. But look at Moses here. Verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fools, idiots, I never wanted to come here anyway. By the way, die! (laughs) No. (laughs) And Moses said to people, Fear not. Stand firm. Why? And see the salvation of the Lord. Wow. To be that kind of leader. Do you see the dichotomy, the difference between someone who sees and hears the words of God and holds to them and those who hear the word of God and don't grasp the reality of a sovereign and controlled God? Look at the difference. But yet God in his grace, he's teaching his people. He's in his grace. He's helping them along just like he does us. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. Oh, the confidence. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, literally, where they're camped, what's going on here is where they're encamped, wherever they are, they're able to actually see the Egyptians there. And Moses, you can just almost picture this. He's going, listen, the Egyptians that you can see over there, uh, you shall never see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Oh, that's my God. There's a lot of scene going on here. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? What? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I don't think it makes sense until you read the rest. Why do you cry me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Hey, um, sometimes we love whiffle dust theology and we can see it in our prayers. For instance, Lord, will you give me an opportunity to share Christ with my friend or neighbor? Now, that's a great prayer. But Matthew 9:37 to 38 says Jesus then Jesus said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of that harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest field what's the problem not the harvest The problem is that there aren't labors to go out into the harvest. So sometimes, maybe God's sitting there going, listen, I'm praying, but here's the deal. Just go! What are we waiting for? I'm waiting for the guy to come up to me and to say, Doug, I've come to realize that Jesus Christ is the son of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead for me, and that the Bible says that as many as received him, to them he would give the right to become children of God. Doug, would you help me understand and pray? I'm just, listen, that's oftentimes what we're waiting for. And yet God wants us to engage with him. Or another one is, Lord, I would pray that you would change my husband." That you'd change my wife, that you'd change my kids. Listen, that's an okay prayer, but I have to say this: First Peter chapter three talks about the fact of. Listen, you go, set an example. Are you changing? And here I think part of this is Moses is going, Lord, Lord, uh, you know, come, show yourself, and he's like Moses, just tell the people of Israel to go forward, pick it up, and go in faith. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea, verse 16, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. want to be there to see that one. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. Here we go again. And I will get the what? I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. Listen, they ain't squat compared to me. Verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that what? That I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh's chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who is going before the host of Israel. Oh, isn't that a great thought? And the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, watching all this. Verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. How long? All night. By the way, you know the the movies that show the parting, like a five-minute It was all night long. All night long, the wind is coming. All night long is the parting. All night long is the drying of the bed of the water. I just wonder, there had to be some of them watching it. All night made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went out into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on the right and to their left. Listen, a wall is not a little dinky thing. A wall is not here. A wall is at least head high. By the way, walking across this thing on the wall, I mean, two million people leaving Indianapolis heading through Avon. This was not as wide as Rockville Road. This had to be a huge gap for them to be able to make it over. And they walk across. I'm telling you, without question, I'm the guy walking on the edge along the wall. I am so the guy that's there going, boop, boop. You know, just unbelievable what God is doing there. How can this be? We're the fish, like in the the cartoon movie. We're the fish, you know, there, you know, I don't know. But whatever it was, God had even dried the ground. Two million people walking across ground, not spread lengthwise, but one over the other, with carts, with kids, with animals. Listen, that had to be dry, dry ground. Otherwise, after about three rows of people, you're sinking in. And there's being a wall of them on the right and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued them, went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and the horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord... Uh, in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the egyptians forces and threw the Egyptians' forces into panic verse 25 clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily and the egyptians said let us free, flee from before israel for the lord fights for them Mm-mm-mm, against the egyptians what they're saying is the lord fights for them against us verse 26 then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand over the sea that the walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left thus the lord saved israel that day from the hands of the egyptians big god so where are they now on our map somewhere on that side and they're going to be heading down that away but here's the cool thing they're on that side and the egyptian army is not Big God. Verse 30 Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And look at this. I love this. And Israel saw. There's been a lot of seeing going on in this chapter. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 430 years, let's just say maybe 350 of that or so as actual servant slaves. And there they are, the taskmasters, the cruelty of what you've known all this time is rolling up dead on the shore that you're on the side of. And all of that is dead, the horses, the men, the the, the army, the wheels, the chariots, it's just all over and it's death there and life here. They are learning about Yahweh and who he is and what he's about. They saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. They didn't hear about it. They didn't just read about it. They saw it. So, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in their servant Moses. Seeing brings fearing. Seeing the Lord brings fearing the Lord and believing in the Lord. Well, what have we seen happen here in Exodus 14? I think four things. We've seen here God getting glory. We've seen God get the glory. We've seen God giving knowledge that He is the Lord. We've seen God redeeming Israel. The Lord is in the salvation by grace business. We have seen the letting Israel see the Lord. The Lord is about helping people see. Look look at me. It's like this. And this will flow here over the next coming minutes. Look at that. You are. I'm in. Look at that. See that? Seeing helps me to fear God. Wow. Oh, my God. And I'm in. I want to believe it. Seeing leads to fearing, which leads to believing. But the see it starts with the seeing reality. So, question. How do we see God? We leave this text and go, oh, God's so cool. And yet, Doug, honestly, I've never seen God like that in my life. How do we see God? Well, one, I'd say Psalm uh, 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. But let me put five things here. How do we see God first? Look at creation. Look at creation. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says this, for what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, which was in Exodus 14 talked about, have been seen clearly ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So all are without excuse. How do you see God? Look, just look at what's around here. Are you kidding me? This just happened? No way. In fact, our new daughter-in-law, her dad, is a physician, a very highly skilled, highly trained physician. I just love his story, sorry. In the story, talking with him, basically functioned all his life as an atheist. All through college, all through grad, all through residency, and it came down, he says, it was the eyeball... Through everything else, I was coming to a point to where I could explain things in my own mind of creation and how it could come about without a God. But when it came to the eyeball, I could not explain it. It is so complex, it is impossible to explain that things formed into such a complex thing all on its own. Can't do it. And that was the thing. God used the eyeball to bring him to Christ. Look and think. And it's the kind of thing, look, God has shown himself in creation. Secondly, look at history. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Yeah, but Doug, is God really in control of history? Yes. And in fact, I would encourage you to look at the last 60 years, ever since 1947. When Israel came back on the map, and all that's happening in the last 60 years, just that period alone, folks, God is working history to do what He's known since before everything was created. It's in His hands. Look at creation, look and see, look at history, look and see. Third, definitely look at the scripture. I mean, the Exodus story. Listen, I haven't parted a Red Sea. I haven't crossed a Red Sea. But you know what? Don't need to because it's already been done. And the wonderful thing is, is we get to see God right here. This is where God shows himself so clearly with such immense detail. Look in the scripture. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, His word has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Not everything I want to know, but everything we need to know. Look and see the Lord in Scripture. Look at life change. Look at Moses. Holy Kamoli! Look at this guy. The change taking place in his life. Uh, look at the disciples. Look at Paul. Look at the Corinthians. Write down 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Go back and take a look. Paul is writing them, telling them this huge list of these sins, these great sins that are there. And he says, you know, but people are doing this and this and this and this and this. And then in there he says, and were such some of you. There's hope right there. These people were those evil things. Saved by grace. Look at life change that's going on. Go to Ephesians. Read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Look at what God has done for the person who is saved in Jesus Christ. Oh, my word, look and see. Look at life change. By the way, follower of Christ... I'm talking about present life change as well. So often, we go back and we go, yeah, I came to Christ back there and I saw what the scripture said about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And ever since there, that's been the only seeing time. And ever, there's been this gap and not a continuous moving of seeing. I'm talking about seeing as an ongoing reality. And fifth, look at what I'm calling together. Just look at it together. What do I mean by that? <sighs> Quickly. I think we have over-personalized the gospel. We have over-individualized the gospel and lost sight of the body reality. It's just about Jesus died for me. It's me and him and me and him and me and him. I don't think that's a picture the scriptures give fully. That is definitely part of it. But when I come to Christ, I am part of his body. And just an observation I'm making, I'm going to leave it at that, a Doug observation here. Not scripture, but a Doug observation. And that is, is that the longer I go interacting with people and the longer I have the opportunity to interact with folks, a characteristic I'm seeing as people are coming and talking and just, it's like, there's no life change in my life. I'm just struggling to see God in it. And one of the things I'm seeing is a common thing, not all the time, but a common thing is that those folks oftentimes live alone in their walk with Christ. That it's me and God. And the body's not there. They're not serving with people, engaging with people, living together with people, side-by-siding with people who know Christ, being a part of a group of people in a real kind of way. And that's where the over-individualization of the gospel, I think we're going awry there. It's about being together. And as we're together, great things are seen out of the work of God. God works through his people. Yes, God works through persons, but God is about his body. He is about his church, capital C. I just want to say, are you involved with people? There's just a trend that I'm seeing in that reality. Growth happens together. Let me finish. Seeing the Lord is the doorway to fearing the Lord. Remember fearing the Lord. Wow. You are cool. Oh my. You are God. That's what we're talking about. And seeing Him leads me to, uh, seeing leads me to you are, you are God. And as we see him and we fear him, it goes, listen, you are God. And I'm just telling you, I am in, dude. I am so in with you. Look at that. You are, I'm in. Jesus Christ died for my sin. You are holy. I am not. I'm painted by the blood. Seeing the fact that we can live for his glory and I want to live that. Here's the thing. Have you seen the Lord? If you don't know Jesus Christ is your savior, I just want to come to the place where hopefully this is helping you to see there are sinners and God is holy and his grace has allowed us to be able to have a relationship with him through Christ. He is our creator. He has made the provision for the covering of my sinfulness and yours. Have you seen the Lord? And secondly, are you seeing the Lord? you're believing just looking back at a time or is it about an ongoing dynamic relationship that's getting deeper and deeper and more real and more real these last couple weeks for me I've just been thinking on some things frankly like I've never thought before and just How am I seeing the Lord? Well, if you're at a place where you're like, Doug, I'm just not seeing the Lord, one, start looking at creation. Two, look at what God has done in history, folks. Three, look at the scriptures. Go there and get yourself in. Get in. Look at life change and get together. You've heard about the Romania teams. You did not hear about Romanian individuals. They were teams that went together. And I'm going to say, Paul, that if you went all by yourself, you would come back and say, that was a great experience, but not near the impact of ministry and relation in your life would have been anything what it would have been going together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the time and your word. Thank you for your love for us, your grace in our lives. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here who is just at a place in their life, or Doug, I'm just at a dry spot. I pray they would get in your word and they would taste and see you. And as seeing you would drive us to understanding you and walking with you. Lord, I thank you so much for a group of people who are doing so much of this right now here. I just tell you, as the pastor here, if you will, I am so blessed with a group of people that are engaged in the singing of you. May we continue to do so. In the wonderful name of Christ, amen. Well, Let's stand together this morning and let us celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And we can see that this morning. Let's boast in Christ alone as we're leaving this morning. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. For the strong man boasting his strength, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let the humble come and give thanks to the one who made us, the one who saved us. not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let the humble.